Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. My name is Mitch Michaels, the host of this show. As always, from the Santa Monica Studios, delighted to bring you another episode of this podcast where we cover everything in the tennis world. Joined by former top player and current TC broadcaster Chand Rubin on today's show. We have a lot to talk about in the world of tennis with the Canadian Open in the rear view, Simona Halp and Pablo Carina boost the winning titles there. We turn our attention to Cincinnati. A lot to discuss with Chanda, Serena Williams losing to Emirata Kanye, who's ramped up her game. We break down Serena. We talk about the other contenders. There's been a lot of withdrawals there. Ben Shelton making waves. The college kid from Florida, not officially a pro. We talk about Francis Tiafo, Taylor Fritz defeating Nick Kyrgios, and the return of Rafael Nadal. A lot to discuss with Chanda Rubin in Cincinnati, about Cincinnati. And then we have another discussion as well with some pickleball players who just competed last weekend in the Riviera PPA event. It's Arena Tereschenko and Yana Grechkina. They join the show to talk a little bit about their new chosen craft, what is pickleball, how they got into it, and where they see themselves and the sport going. Well, we start the show with Chanda Rubin right now, talking about all the action in Cincinnati. And this channel inside and begins right now. All right, now on Tennis Channel Inside In, joined by Chanda Rubin. Uh, we've done this a bunch of times. First time in person, though. Chanda, thanks for joining the show. I'm happy to be here. Nice talking with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you, you know, in person, especially this time in the tennis calendar. Uh, we're spoiled living in America and then having back-to-back events in North America. It's been kind of exciting. I want to recap Canada first because Halep and Karina Busta winning the, winning the tournaments, it's kind of remarkable for Halep to get back to the top, but for Pablo to get to his first Masters 1000 title and to do it on North American hard courts was something. Uh, I was I was happy for him because he's put in the time, he's put in the work, he's an unbelievable athlete, and for him to do it and get to that mountaintop is pretty special. Right up there at the top for a consistent part of his career, and we don't talk as much about him at times, but he's always a tough out. He's been in the top 10 um, you know, considerable amount of time. He's now an Olympic medalist, which that was so fantastic just to see the effort he put into that and how much it meant to him. It's sort of the rewards you feel he yeah. deserves at this stage of his career because he works hard. You know, he never goes away. He always gives it 100%, and he is capable of beating, you know, some of the bigger names. And to see him win a big title like that was kind of special. It's crazy, too, that he hadn't had a great year, didn't have a lot of momentum, and it shows you how tough the draws can be if you don't have your ranking at a certain point. You look at his results, he just ran into some some brutal matchups. But happy for him. Uh, Simona Halep, I didn't realize this until I saw the stat, 37 wins on tour this year. So even with the injury, I mean, we'll get to this tournament, but third most hardcore record is 21-5, and five, and uh, had to regroup, had the scariness at the clay court injury, but... Back, and I don't want to say better than ever, but definitely back to being where she belongs, and that's near the top of the women's game. 
Yeah, I think she's, you know, getting that confidence back. And that's one of the toughest parts when you've been injured, you're out for a while, you know, she was out for, you know, good portion until, you know, the, towards the fall of last year. So it takes a while to start building back and to try to get those consistent matches um, in events. And for Halep, you consider just how solid her game is, how good she is in terms of her movement. She can transition on the different surfaces. And, you know, she's always a threat. But once you see her get that ranking, start to get the ranking back up, you know that, you know, she's back in the game. You know, she's ready to win. Hopefully she can stay healthy because that's a big part at Mm -hmm. this stage for any player as they've been playing uh, well into their career, just staying healthy and, you know, keeping that motivation up. You get the sense that she is comfortable and she can fight. You know, big matches, big stakes, conditions. It was super hot in Canada. She's more comfortable than most because she's been there before, and she's not gonna, you know, falter in those moments. Well, and I think too, you kind of you get to where you feel you deserve it. Mm-hmm. You know, because she's been through, you know, some tough times, and you know, physically, just the stops and starts she's had, and the tough injury, and you know, I think when you put in that work and you know you've done what you needed to do to get back to stage nobody gave it to you at that stage Uh you know you weren't just you know getting there because you were in a good rhythm and you had been able to stay on the court and stay healthy you know you worked to put yourself back in that position it's harder you know second third fourth time to do it so I think that adds to what we see from her that fire but I think it's a little more positive you know like she has a tendency at times to go a little negative with it Mm -hmm. she's very hard on herself such a perfectionist as <laughs> yeah. a lot of players are, but I think it's important to yeah. stay positive, and I think she's been using it, channeling it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, a thigh injury was the reason why she pulled out of the tournament today. Um, just a note on that, you know, Kuda Mertova got the walkover win. Eight walkover wins in her career. That seems like an astronomical number of just benefits to get. But it's amazing. I'm trying to think. How many did you get? I can't even remember <laughs> did did, if I got one. No. It is, it's amazing to me when I see players that kind of get them yeah. three or four times yeah. even is a lot. So to get that many, it's incredible. But look, you got to take advantage of it, right? So can you, you know play through and and kind mm-hmm. of have that form and keep it going. That's not easy. Kudumertov is a yeah. great player. We'll see if she can benefit from it's, that. It's worth noting, too, as you <laughs> say that, like Shelby Rogers got the walkover with Annie Samova pulling out first time in her career, and yeah. she's been around a lot. I so mean, it's it's, just, I, I seriously <laughs> cannot recall getting one. I may yeah. have. I don't want to say I didn't. Okay. But I, I don't think it was more than that. <laughs> it's uh, well, we are on to Cincinnati, and it's a you turn the page. You're on the same surface. It's the last big event before the U.S. Open, uh, and we know that. I mean, you've been there, obviously. I feel like some of these injuries are unfortunately serious, but others you want to be ready for the Open. So, not that these players are going to be in a rush to pull out, but if there's anything at all. You have to save your best for the U.S. Open. It's just how the scheduling works. Yeah, I think that's the tough thing to gauge. You get to this time of year. It's already been a long year now for most players who have been playing since since January, since Australia. This is the fourth Grand Slam coming up. You want to try to bring as much energy and, yeah. and motivation as possible. You want to be you know close to 100% if, if you are there or almost and I just think there's a lot more pressure that you feel for various reasons and then you just throw into New York (laughs) what you know that takes all of the chaos and you know all of the craziness you got to be ready you got to have your energy stored up and I think a lot of that comes into play if you start to feel something physically you know that you know it's potentially something that could get a little worse in the next week or two, I think players are going to be more cautious. And it's just smart to kind of think that way. Players play with injuries a lot. 
but the significance, the you know, magnitude of those injuries, that mm-hmm. is what they're constantly trying to gauge and kind of keep at bay. Do you think the schedule being, as you mentioned, so long and you know, so heavy for these tennis players, especially the top ones that are going deep into a lot of these events, mm-hmm. I think that might be the reason why we've seen more parity than I mean, I mean, relatively speaking for the men's game, there's been more different Grand Slam champions than just the big three. And the women's game, we've seen a lot of women in recent memory get their first Grand Slam ever come out of the scene at the U.S. Open. Do you think it might be because the schedule wears down some of the top players? You know, I think, you know, it's it's maybe a little different for the men versus the women. I mean, obviously the big three, they're getting older. You yeah, know, they're wearing yeah. down. I mean, it's just time kind of <laughs> – yeah. it, it happens to every great athlete. And it's been amazing that they have had such a lock on the game for so long and that their careers have overlapped the way they, their careers (laughs) have, that they've been managed to stay, you know, fairly healthy over that time period as well. Nadal, we know uh, some of his injury issues, but you know, that has been amazing and they haven't created a lot of space for some of the younger guys to move in there. I think now we're starting to see a little room being made Mm -hmm. and, you know, guys like, you know, Medvedev team was sort of the first, um, you know, to get a major, I think they're now seeing and having more belief that they right. can do it. And that's critical. I, I think on the women's side, it's just a little bit different because it's been a while since there's been a real dominant player. I mean, Serena's been sort of the last dominant player mm-hmm. until Iga Svantec now is trying yeah. to kind of pick up that mantle um, a bit. Ash Barty, you know, had some dominance, but retiring so early. Right. I mean, that's been a big blow um, in terms of the game. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, you wish her the best. And certainly it's a personal decision, but you know, it's tough to kind of have your number one step aside. So it's just been, I think some different circumstances on the women's side, but hopefully we can see a few more competitive matchups and rivalries kind of start to rise to the top. I mean, we might be getting to a point women's and men's where surfaces players are dominant on certain ones and then not as good, not as elite on others as well. Uh, I do want to mention too, as we, folks in Cincinnati. Unfortunately, Serena loses a tough one to Raducanu in that matchup, 6-4, 6 love. Uh, and I, I watched TC Live yesterday, and you yourself, John Wertheim, Steve Weissman, did a great job in kind of putting it into perspective that this is a tough challenge for her physically as much as mentally. And I think part of that being the processing of, you know, saying goodbye to the game on your own terms as best you can, but also we can't walk in her shoes knowing what it's like to have been an all time great and then to slowly not have it anymore. And I think that mental challenge, I couldn't even fathom what that's like to know that you were once the greatest ever to just not quite have that level anymore. It's gotta be a tough challenge. Yeah. I think with, you know, a great player, you know, like Serena and icon, you know, you're used to, feeling a certain way about mm-hmm. your game and getting to a certain place you know better than anybody what that's what that looks like how yeah. that feels and you, you figure when she walks out there she kind of knows on, on a level you know where she is and maybe yeah. she knew she wasn't quite there I think for me when I saw her walk out onto court she she just looked a little off like, right, like the she wave wasn't, wasn't yeah. yeah you know the moment it just she looked like it was you know not quite maybe what you know, she, where she would have wanted to be or what, I mean, I can't, I can't mm-hmm. speculate. That's just the way it looked to me though. And you just never know what's going on. I know she had a little physical issue. That's why the match was delayed, mm-hmm. postponed a day to Tuesday. And it's just tough at this stage when you've had so few matches like mm-hmm. Serena has in a year. I mean, a player coming back after being out for a year, it takes a number of tournaments. Right. We talk about that back. a lot. Like 
the only really way to be a great tennis player is to play tennis, like yes. to be on tour and to be, you know, And informed. even if you're not playing, because Serena, over the course of her career, she at times hasn't mm-hmm. played a lot and mm-hmm. then comes out mm-hmm. for one or two tournaments and plays great and is able, yeah, she, you know, to like win. She's like the only one that could do that, She's too. about the only yeah. player that could do that. But even for her to be out mm-hmm. and be injured, mm-hmm. not able to be on court, yeah. not able able to hit balls and practice and then your mind is sort of going into all the business ventures and your family it's just I think a lot and maybe for her she's kind of figuring out how much she can kind of handle versus not and you know maybe this was just the natural Mm -hmm. progression for her we talk a lot about maybe not having the top heaviness on the women's tour that we've had in the past, mm-hmm. but the depth I would argue has never been, I shouldn't say never, hasn't been greater in a long time than it is yeah. now. You add that to the fact that Serena's competing against players that are working world-class athletes, working year round on their craft that are half of her age in Raducanu's case. And it's hard to be one foot in one foot out. It's hard to not be there all the time and be at an elite level. We see athletes retire much younger than Serena that are still good, that were great, that say, I can't, I don't want to see myself slipping. I mean, Andy Roddick comes to mind because he was, you know, still in the top 20 and he's like, I don't want to just be on tour just to be on tour if I'm not contending, which Mm -hmm. is an admirable thing too. I mean, there's no right way for an athlete to handle the retirement. It's all on them. It's just, it's tough. I think for the fans too, they're just so used to her competing and contending. It's an, it's an unfortunate thing to kind of have to rectify, but we're on to the U.S. Open, and like you said on the show, I just hope that she's in, you know, feeling well and is able to play a good competitive match. Yeah, I think it's a personal decision. I mean, every athlete wants to be able to, quote, go out on their own terms, and that is not really something that's clear. I mean, what mm. does that mean? Does that mean going out on top like Ash yeah. Barty? Does that mean it's, going out when you're healthy it's and like you're a, it's able a, to compete Yeah, because fully? you could go out on top, and then maybe you're still leaving your best you tennis could be. on the table or, you know. Yeah, or maybe you're going out, but you're, yeah. you're injured and you feel like it's only a matter of time, right. so you're forced from that standpoint. I mean, there's so many different mm-hmm. components that go into that decision. And I think for an all-time great like Serena, there's even more because she yeah. played so great into her being 40 years yeah. old, getting to four major finals yeah. after having maternity leave. I mean, it's been mind-boggling what she's been able to accomplish so I think that is probably the biggest part of what she's dealing with how does her own mortality the tennis mortality look introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. All right, more with Chanda Rubin here on Tennis Channel Inside and well, we wish Serena Williams the best in the U.S. Open. Uh, for the woman that beat her, Emma Raducanu, finally starting to get some momentum. Beats Azarenka even worse today. Uh, and I guess there's another angle to look at it too. Maybe she just loves the U.S. Open series balls too because her offense and some of her ground strokes are great. But for Emma... She needs these good results, Chanda, to keep her ranking high. And we're starting to see flashes of the champion she was last year. 
and I also think that the most important part of it is as she goes into the tournament where she had her biggest result, where she wants to play well and, you know, defend uh, to a certain degree, that she's feeling better about her tennis. I mean, the yeah. worst thing is to not have the matches under your belt, to feel like you're just not quite there in terms of your form going into this big event where you were celebrated as a champion just the year before. So I think that's been a great sign for Emma Raducanu. And I think she's had a good mindset. I mean, yeah. it hasn't been easy this last year coming literally out of nowhere coming from qualifying that is just insane to think about it and now she's a grand slam champion but with relatively little experience over the course of a career so i think she's been building uh, she has had the right mindset and these two matches this certainly yeah. should help her against these two great hardcourt players there's pressures when you get to that level and then add on to the fact where she's from great britain has been clamoring for a champion yeah. for so long it's so true i really do like the fact that uh, you know i'd like to see we've been talking about it the stability her team, she's working with Dmitry Tursunov now, and her camp, there finally seems to be that stability factor, and I hope that it can build for her as well. Uh, but she's played great. Props to her. Uh, someone, unfortunately, I just want your quick thoughts on who has it. Another early-run exit for Naomi Osaka. It's 2-6 and six in her last eight matches with a lot of straight-set losses in there. Uh, good sign from the last match. She appeared to be healthy, but just can't get her footing going into a tournament. She's won twice. How do you assess where Naomi's at? You know, I think, you know, ideally, you know, she probably wishes she had had more matches, has been able to stay on the court a little bit more, you know, but realistically speaking, you know, for any player, there are ebbs and flows in a career. And I think for Osaka, she's reached such heights and now there's so much expectation. Probably yeah. a lot of it is internal um, as well. And so I think the most important thing for me is seeing that, you know, she seems a bit calmer. She seems more settled. She seems a little bit happier. We saw her watching some of the match yeah. after she lost that day, watching Serena and Raducanu play and, you know, seem to be enjoying the moment. I think those are, for me, the signs that are encouraging because she can turn it on when she gets, you know, a little bit of fire, a little bit of momentum. She is going to be dangerous. And especially on hard courts, if that's this uh, hard court swing, great if not i mean the year starts over again so i just think you have to have yeah. a perspective with where she is in her career right now i hope she plays a lot of tennis selfishly too but also the fact last year she shut it down after the u.s open yeah. see if that keeps going on later into the season gets more reps and then builds her next year still super young people forget that just how yeah. young she is because of the success early women's game has these contenders we saw Iga, who's obviously at the top of the ranking chanda when a tight one with Sloan, Sloan played well on that match, and I think that was more Iga just wearing her down in the big moments. But it was good to see Sloan show out, uh, and then unfortunately Coco Goff has the ankle injury. Those are, I mean, anybody's speculation how it's going to recover. I think it's good that she has some downtime before the U.S. Open, but it was sad because she's starting to hit her groove, now number one in the world in doubles, and we think that it's building toward that major breakout that we've all been kind of waiting for. You hate to see any kind of roadblock like a rolled ankle. You just, you hope it's not anything serious. And by all accounts, we saw her post on social media that she's fine, that, um, you know, she did feel it a bit, but it's going to be fine for the U.S. Open, certainly. So hopefully that's the case. And, you know, this is another player who is so early, so young in her career, and she's already accomplished so much. There's a tendency to kind of want more and expect yeah. more. And I think for golf, she has been so impressive 
the way we see her mindset, the way we see her maturity, and even being able to kind of shut a match down like that and say, you know what, yeah. maybe it's safer that I don't continue. I'm, I'm feeling it. Uh, it's not, it doesn't make sense to push through. I think even that is a good sign because that's not easy to do, especially, as you said, when you're in such a rhythm, you're number yeah. one in doubles, you've been winning all these matches, Grand Slam final already. Um, but I think she just needs to make sure she's healthy and it's just going to be fun to watch. The progression has been great. There's obviously still levels to go with her um but what's impressed me the most is her fight that there is a lot of matches in toronto specifically where she wasn't at her best had to go three hours serve was shaky and she still found a way to win so at this early stage in her career i think that's actually a good thing yeah she doesn't take matches off she doesn't take games off points mm -hmm. off i mean that has for me been the most impressive part of of her game and there are many <laughs> impressive aspects yeah. of it but just that part where she's just in the fight she stays in it she's got such presence of mind even through the frustrations and the ups and downs that happen during matches sometimes against opponents she hasn't faced before she's figuring out the game yeah. style and, and that's not easy to do so I think there's so many good indicators um, for Coco Golf, and you hope for a player at 18 years of age that she continues to grow. I mean, there's still things she can improve in yeah. her game and get better at. And I mean, the, the sky is the limit. So it's going to be fun to watch. Just give her some space. Yeah. Sometimes I want to say yeah, that, like, you know, and hopefully she and her family, her team, they seem like they definitely have a good head on their shoulders as well. They're um, helping her to do the same. It definitely feels like she's not overwhelmed by the pressure, yeah. which is a great thing. Uh, well, Turning our attention to the men's game, there's a lot of different places to start, and uh, with respect and apologies to everybody else, I want to start with Ben Shelton, because that's just like, <laughs> an, I mean, he's into the top 200 now. He's not even officially a professional. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the part that He hasn't turned pro. He hasn't made no. the decision yet. I think he's got ITAs coming up, which I don't ever think there's a time when a top 200 player showed up there, but... <laughs> It, it's something. I mean, he beats Casper Rudin straight sets the day. Sanego, he wins in, the, in a long match yesterday that had a rain delay in there too. But the, the, the collective hype and the collective kind of agreement from the tennis community, like he's got a pretty good approval rating. We were yeah. all like waiting for this guy, expecting this guy. It, it's just been very fun to see, uh, you know, and see his development and what he can do out there with the kick serves, his athleticism, and his creativity. And, you know, like we've also seen, he's a shot maker as well. So this is somebody that I think not just American tennis fans are all pretty excited with his arrival. Yeah, I've been hearing a good bit about him. And, you know, that was before I really saw him play any live points um, and started obviously watching him this week. And it has been impressive. And, you know, for me, I, I look at him and I think about his dad. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Shelton, who, who I knew so well on the tour, played around the same time and just had that same smile and that same positive attitude, athletic player, you know, attacking player. He had a dynamic game. And so to see his son yeah. kind of maybe doing one better, maybe, I mean, at this stage, you figure he's got such a bright uh, future. And to have the guidance of um, his dad, who understands what it takes, under, you know, stood maybe some of the things he could have done differently mm -hmm. and, and can impart that to his son I mean it's an incredible story and I love all that all those aspects of yeah. it and then to watch his game and the way he attacks the way he doesn't hesitate moving in I mean it's it is something also. special it's yeah. fun and it's something special and I think you know that's what the game needs sometimes just that little shot mm -hmm. a different style you know a little more dynamicism um 
Is that a word? I, kind of. I think he a hyphenated Not, word, maybe. Yeah, you know. He, a little more dynamic tennis. <laughs> I mean, I love that part of what yeah. he's doing out there. Well, he was co- he's coached by his dad, and yeah. they didn't have a big, you know, he, he survived that year. So that shows me that their relationship <laughs> that's is impressive. rock solid. Yeah, that's not easy. I keep coming back to it when I heard his father, Brian, say, and I think it's a great thing maybe for him, but also for the rest of people getting into tennis, that he was not specialized early. He was a football player. He was a quarterback. And then it was later in the game, he kind of saw his dad and his sister work, and then he's like, hey, I want to try to take this seriously. And I just think that's a great path, a great story that you don't have to be hyper-focused at six, seven years old. I'm only going to be a tennis player. And you also develop other athletic skills that he obviously has done. So I think that's a great part of his development. I think it's cool for people that, you know, don't have just the mindset of only tennis at a young age. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's so many different ways to progress through this sport. And if, you know, there's... one takeaway, it's that you don't have to worry that you didn't do yeah. something by a certain point or you didn't get to this place by, you know, a certain age. It is still very much a possibility. And, you know, you think about, you know, Brian Shelton, his son, Ben, just great athletes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the movement, the, the speed, the burst, um, it's, it's that part that you want to cultivate. And sometimes mm-hmm. doing different sports, doing different things can help you actually grow a little bit more. Well, American tennis, as we've all been reminded of on the men's side, hasn't won a major since Roddick in 2003, but the depth is getting there. We're trying to, I guess it's throwing darts at it. We're, we're surrounding it and hopefully getting there. Taylor Fritz, the top American, beats Nick Kyrgios in under an hour today. Uh, it's just a, a great performance by on Taylor's side. And I, I watched this match thinking, obviously Nick Kyrgios has been playing the best tennis in his career but the way Taylor Fritz is able to kind of match, go serve for serve with him, that does put that added pressure on, on Nick's side where obviously he's been playing a lot of tennis, but that's a real threat for Taylor. I mean, they were going two minutes in service games today, and yeah. I just think where Fritz is as a complete player under the you know the development that he's gotten really puts him to be a contender going forward. I mean, he's top 13, should be top 10, looking for an ATP Tour Finals appearance, probably will get it. It's just been a phenomenal run for Taylor this year. Yeah, it really has been. And, you know, really started seeing it when he won Indian Wells. I mean, that was impressive. Each match, it seemed mm-hmm. like he did something that, you know, really showed you just a bit more about mm-hmm. his game and a little bit more. And I think the serve is maybe somewhat underrated because he can get free points. It's a big weapon. Mm-hmm. He understands how to use it to set up his aggressive play. Yeah. And I remember a couple of years ago, 2019, when he was winning on grass and he was starting to come in more and really, you know, embrace that part of his game. And I think that's even paying dividends. Yeah. You know, the year before he had gone and stayed in Europe and played and grinded. Like it hasn't been, you know, this come out of nowhere for right. from Taylor Fritz. He has done the work and I think we're starting to see it. People might not understand that because he hadn't even made a fourth round of a slam until I think 2021 Aussie was like the first time. So say, wow, it just happened so fast. But no, he no. put the work in, he developed it. He, as you said, went to Europe and played the clay court swing, which Americans hardly ever yeah, do. It's hard. He stayed there yeah. that whole time. And that was the first you know, indicator that he was committed. And that yeah. says a lot. Well, I also have to get your take because you're a former tennis player as well. And his take on coaching, they asked him about it and he hates it. <laughs> so he said, tennis is an individual sport. Why are we not? You know, making it an individual sport, uh, in my mind, it's as much mental as it is physical. You need to be able to figure it out for himself, basically. So uh, I've asked a lot of people that work here. I'm not going to say it's a uniform thought, but 
more so than not, people are saying they're just not a fan of the increased coaching into the game. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan either. I've always felt like, you know, part of tennis is figuring it out and you're out there on your own one-on-one and, you know, you may be playing doubles, but it's still, you know, you against your opponent and you're trying to work it out in real time. And that's one of the challenges of the sport. I think even with coaching, that still has to happen. That still has to take place. Um, And I think for the most part, you know, coaching, I think, doesn't have as much of an effect. Like we like to think it does, but... In, in under pressure, when you're in the moment, there's only so much you can take in from somebody sitting in yeah. the stands. I mean, that's yeah. just reality. I think there are some situations where a coach can give you one or two things that really help turn a match around. Um, so in, from that standpoint, maybe it's a positive. But for me, overall, yeah. I wish we weren't having yeah. that conversation. This is an outsider's view, obviously. I, I'm not against the sit-downs, the, the coaching visits yeah. once per set. I just view it more as like a, as like test prep, like put all the work in before. Here's all the info you need. This is what they're going to try to do. You can study it or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do like the fact watching that yeah. they have to figure it out and that the champion's mentality, the Serena's, the yeah. Federer's, they get to that place where they can figure it out. So he's on the old-school side. Just yeah. quickly on uh, on Kyrgios. Do you think this was just kind of the miles adding up? I mean, he does now have, he's had a couple weeks, myself included, with people kind of gassing him up, saying this guy's in the running for a contender now. Is there added expectation that might be kind of weighing on him more as he's kind of grown up on the court there? I think there very well could be. I mean, Kyrgios, the way he has seemed to approach his career, you know, he's he's a he thinks a bit differently and, you know, he's a little more of a wild card. So I don't know how much that will sort of geek him up or, you know, add to the pressure. I think his game is such a big game. He's got, you know, so many tools that he's dangerous at any time, regardless of how he's been playing, uh, regardless of how many matches he has under his belt. He's always a challenge to get through. The fact that now he's seeming to put it together, he seems like he's more consistently kind of doing the things he yeah. needs to do, it makes him a, a dangerous contender. If physically, if he can be close to 100%, that's going to be a question for every player. So I don't necessarily think that's a big that, difference for him, although yeah. he has had a lot of matches. That's a great point, though, about physically. Like, we always, and for, for obvious reasons, talk about the mental side because how how important it is and how he struggled with that. But it is still, like, for a major seven best of five matches. And grass being the easier surface. Like, you go U.S. Open hard courts. It's a grueling sport. So we're hoping that he holds up. His back was kind of flaring up against uh, Hirakash, but was able to play a little bit in this one. So hopefully we'll see. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A couple more things here with Chandler Room before we wrap up. My eyes lit off because we're recording this during the Nadal match, and it's like a 10-9 tiebreaker right now on the first set. But Rafa back to the court. Did want to mention him. Uh, obviously, the goal is another major. would go going for his third of the year at the U.S. Open. But going into this match, which he may win, he may lose, but going forward in this tournament, however long it is, Chanda, what are the things you're looking to see 
from Nadal coming off of an injury? What tendencies? What are you looking at with Rafa? You know, for me, I think, you know, a lot of times we look at the serve. You know, how is that firing for Nadal? It is an important part of his game. It allows him to really set up, you know, him being able to dictate and just control points a little bit better, be able to shorten points a little bit more. We're seeing Nadal take opportunities to come in. He's throwing in the serve and volley. So I think that's those are going to be important parts of, you know, him putting his full game together and being able to physically work through yeah. potentially seven matches, you know, on hard courts. I think also we kind of talk about, you know, the backhand. We know the forehand can whip and get yeah. up on you, and it's a very physical shot. Yeah. How confident is he on the backhand side? Like yeah. that, I think, is also a key for Nadal because it, it also allows him to kind of get into return games a bit more and, you know, just open up the court in big moments. Rafa being as physical of a tennis player as he is, he gets injuries that I didn't even think tennis players could get, like cracked rib, like tearing him. Oh. You know, it's it, it it's is, a physical game. It I is. mean, and he, he plays it to the max. It, it, I don't think you know you can't fully appreciate until you're on the other side of ball that's getting up above mm-hmm. your shoulders constantly, and yeah. you know the way he plays every point like a hundred percent. I mean, he, that is an insane. anomaly. He's so professional too, in the sense of the process and doing the right things and not cutting corners. It's just a great life lesson, really, when yeah. you think about it. Uh, just the model for consistency. Lost that first set tie break, though. So we're going to see. I mean, this obviously going to be posted later, but we'll see what happens with Rafa. I, I did want to kind of wrap with this. There's another late match tonight I have my eye on. It's Corda Tiafo, a great American showdown between two, two young talents. And I wanted to talk about Francis Tiafo in the sense that it's starting to kind of happen. Like we're getting to that point. I mean, I'll tell you straight up, I know people, family members that barely follow tennis that will text me saying they love Tiafo and love watching him play. I'm a huge fan as well. I think the consistency has been the thing. We're starting to see that maybe this is coming together. What's been the difference for him, you think, in the last couple months where he's winning some of these long war matches that maybe he didn't in the past? Yeah, and I, I think it even started, you know, before the last couple of months. Even, you know, last mm-hmm. year, I think, you know, Wayne Ferreira has been a good mm-hmm. addition, you know, to his team. And you, you look at Francis, and he's always been such a fun player to watch. He has always had this incredible athleticism. He's got mm-hmm. power, you know, the speed, all of those things that make it tough to beat him but he didn't have the consistency and there were points big points sometimes where the decision making wasn't the best and I think those are some of the things that's part of what he has started to change I mean he has started to really stay plugged in the tighter the moment you feel like he understands he's got to play more high percentage tennis I think that's what we're seeing a bit more he's using the serve really taking care of service games that's important uh, across the board especially in the men's game and just allowing the other parts of his game to then be the factor, the factors mm-hmm. that they are. I mean, he's so quick around the court. He's got great hands. He can come in and volley, hit the ball in a dime. Yeah. Those are the areas I've been really happy to see him throwing more into his matches. And I would talk about, I talked to him at times and be like, you need to be coming in. Like, what <laughs> yeah. are you doing? You're hitting these shots and yeah. incredible athlete. The ball is there. Right. Take it. And I just think with, the team that he has now, yeah. they've been really focusing on that, and he's embraced it. It's been good to see. I think it's it's like all sports almost, right? Like when you say like you can't win a game in one or two moments, but you can lose it. It was always just little dips in the moment when he gets to that level. Not just him, obviously, but when you play a great champion, yeah. all it takes is an opening for these guys to slide through. Uh, I've always, you know, marveled at his shot making, but also how much he enjoys the moment. He enjoys being Rublev at the U.S. Open, thriving with the crowd there. 
Uh, I think that you mentioned Wayne Ferrara and the, the, I mean, the stability he has in the coaching circle, but the work he's putting in that we don't see, I feel like he is in better shape and has had, has more cardio and has improved his stamina. So that way, when we get to these late matches and he can bounce back as well after, you know, going three hours with Berrettini yeah. the other night, he can recover because that's part of it as well. Yeah, it absolutely is. And he's in, you know, fantastic shape. That's been an area that I think he's gotten a little better mm-hmm. in as well. Uh, and sometimes it's just those those little additions you make that can yeah. elevate your game. You're talking about small margins at this level. I also think that, you know, early in the year after Australia, he had a little bit of an injury, so he had to take a couple of months off. You know, that was a little frustrating uh, for him. And so I think coming back, he just has a little more appreciation as well. So you put all those things together, and it makes for a player that's ready to take advantage of these opportunities in matches. And that, I think, is going to be the key for Francis to continue moving up. Can't wait for this one because Corda is another guy that don't want to gloss over what he's done and how he's knocking on the door as well. And the, the depth is coming along. Ben Shelton's knocking. Taylor Fritz is there. You know, it, it's it's a good spot. Well, Chanda, this has been a blast. Uh, any final thoughts going into this weekend? Any players that you think could go all the way? Don't have to make an outright prediction winner, but who do you think could really go deep into this tournament on each side? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, this tournament has been stacked, you know, and really but has. on the heels, I mean, you have two big tournaments back to back. So that's always a challenge, you know, mm-hmm. for, for these players that do well in Canada, and then they got to come right back to Cincinnati um, and, you know, try to keep that momentum going. So it's a little bit of the battle of the fittest. I mean, we've been seeing some players drop a few injuries, you know, who can kind of be the last one standing yeah. physically and still have a little juice left in the tank. Um, I mean, that's going to be the that's going to be the question. I was impressed with them. Raducanu, the way she's kind of um, stayed poised. Sabalinka has been a little under the radar and she's a dangerous mm-hmm. player on these hard courts. So, you know, can she, you know, make some moves and, and take advantage? And, you know, Jabur, I'm kind of waiting for her to kind of turn it on a little yeah, bit on these hard courts. Today, she had yeah. a tough one, right? Uh, but she's always tricky. And maybe getting through a match like that, maybe that relaxes yeah. her a little bit more. So, I mean, we talk about how wide open it yeah. is. I mean, who knows? I would I would look at, I mean, the completely wide open. The men's four semifinalists from Canada all lost first round yeah. in this tournament. It's, it's tough. It it's a tough turnaround, you know. I think for the storylines, right? Let's, let's see. What would be good for the storylines if Ego could reassert herself or if Emma could reassert yeah. herself? Hey, say, hey, don't forget about me on the men's side. I'm thinking someone like Medvedev, who is just kind of working. He's just so solid. Like, he's a guy you, on this surface, like, I mean. Lost to Kyrgios, but that's an honorable loss, obviously. And now he's out of the tournament. And It's hard to bet against him with, you know, the matchups. I mean, any of these matchups. But, you know, so he might be a guy who's kind of top of mind um, with it. But I mean Ben Shelton, you think he can? I mean that would little, be, you know, like <laughs> I don't know. is that is that too crazy? If we to got think? inside intel, I'll drive to Vegas <laughs> if he's going to win this tournament. But we'll have to see him go on a run. Chanda Rubin, thanks so much for joining Tennis it Channel Inside In. We'll be chatting again soon. Thank you. Loved it. Thank you. Huge thanks to Chanda Rubin, a uh, true professional, and a lot of great insight there as well. If Ben Shelton wins this tournament. Uh, I'm going to be uh, very, very much kicking myself for not uh, investing in it. But Chanda's great. Really appreciate her and uh, look forward to chatting tennis with her again. Now we switch sports with something different. It's two pickleball professionals in the PPA, Arena Tereshenko and Yana Grechikina. They were in the Expo Studios for a tour and uh, in town for the LA event at the Riviera Country Club, the PPA event there. 
They discuss their pickleball origin stories as well as where this game and their careers hope to go in the future. Here's my chat now with these two pickleball professionals on Tennis Channel Inside It. We now welcome on to the show two professional pickleball players, one uh, a relative vet and one a relative newcomer. Uh, we have a top five player with many accolades, too much to list, uh, Arena Tereshenko. Thank you for joining the show. Uh, thank you for the invite. Happy to be here. And uh, a two-year pro, I think, just 2020 is when you turn pro, making some serious waves on, to, on the Pro Pickleball Association Tour. It's Yana Grichinka. Did I pronounce that right? Gretchkina, sorry about that. Uh, welcome to Tennis Channel Inside In. We're really excited to have you here as part of the pickleball uh, tour going on. How exciting is it to kind of be ambassadors for this new sport that's kind of growing faster than anything right now? It's great, and I think the uh, greatest part about this sport is how social it is. You meet great people when you travel, and everyone is so nice, and they're so happy about the sport growing and it's uh, it's been amazing, and finding Irene on the tour has been great. She's a great ambassador, and she's awesome. And uh, just like her, we have so many pros on the tour who are also very very amazing people, and just represent the sport in a great way. And I wanted to kind of get to where we are right now. You're physically right now. We're at you know at the Tennis Channel Studios taking the tour. Uh, it's a pretty big, overwhelming building building for a lot of us. Uh, Arena, what's it been like to kind of see this facility and how, you know, the sausage is made, for lack of a better uh, reference? Well, um, the Tennis Channel is obviously an uh, iconic institution, and um, this facility is state-of-the-art. It's also brand new, and it's designed to expand, and it's very technology-forward. So um, it's just mind-blowing to see how everything comes together and how um, content from around the world comes through this building and gets delivered to the consumers with a seamless touch of a button. But <laughs> trust me, there's a lot more that goes into it. Yeah, I mean, I think it gives you an understanding for when mistakes happen. It's more understandable because there's a lot going on. It's nice to kind of have excitement in the workplace. You know, not the same, the same job every day. But, yeah, it's, it can be crazy and overwhelming at times. But we're delighted to have you here. Uh, always like to ask this question for someone in your line of work now, the origin story for Pickleball. Both of you come from tennis backgrounds. Uh, we'll start with, with the arena. The uh, Texas Tech 2015 was when you started, I think, play pickleball. And if I have this right, it started with basically like a challenge slash dare. That's how you ended up into this sport with a friend? Um, pretty much more or less. I started actually a little bit earlier, 2000, uh, 2013. And a friend of mine invited me to play uh, because one of her friends just kept bugging her about the sport and she just kind of appreciated the enthusiasm. You know, she played in the tournament before, and uh, uh, there were more tournaments popping up, so I got invited to play. Um, I can't say that my very first experience was, uh, you know, I wasn't hooked right, right away, and uh, I probably experienced similar emotions that a lot of tennis players experience. I didn't have any feel, because obviously there are no strings on the paddle. I couldn't spin the ball maybe as much as I mm -hmm. could with the tennis racket, so... Um, it took me maybe three or four years, actually, and a few tournaments, and for the sport to become more of a spectator sport, right. to get excited about it. But uh, now I'm very happy that I stuck with it, and I'm just a part of this amazing journey and growth. Right. And, Yana, you were at University of Missouri, Kansas City? That's right. Yeah. All right. And 
So that was, I mean, I know I've lived in Missouri for several yeah. years. Yeah, I went to St. Louis University. So um, I was going to ask you guys, like, we can kind of go there. What was it like living in Texas and Missouri, you know, coming from overseas and not, you know, that being kind of your first taste of living in America? Um, I was definitely very scared because I've never <laughs> been so far away from home. But I had some experience living <laughs> away from my parents. I've lived in Spain for about five years before coming to college. So um, I knew how it was. Living, living by yourself and mm -hmm. being responsible and growing up faster. Uh, but in general, um, I want to say I was very scared of people at first. Being so yeah. friendly, asking questions. <laughs> and you had your guard up a little bit? Like, what's going on right, here? Yeah. Yes, yes, because yeah. back home, if a stranger comes to you and asks a question, you, you want to run away probably. Yeah, that's only like <laughs> New York here, so you don't have to worry unless you're in New York. No, but in uh, and, and Texas, for you, I mean, it was had to be just kind of a little of a culture shock as well. Lubbock, especially. 100%. Uh, I grew up in Moscow, so it's a big city. Um, and um, I was a little bit suspicious when uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth, I was boarding a plane to Lubbock, Texas, and it was a propeller plane. And that's when I was like, hmm, yeah. I'm kind of curious where I'm going. But, <laughs> you know... Um, uh, Texas Tech is just, and Lubbock is just one of those amazing college towns where the community really gets behind the university, and uh, that's something we don't have in Russia, is uh, college sports, so yeah. being able to experience that atmosphere, that sense of community, that sense of right. excitement, and have different sports, not just tennis, uh, it was absolutely amazing, and I actually loved my time uh, in Lubbock, Texas, and right. um, yeah, the university and the sports were a big part. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Part of it. Nana, how do you go from your tennis career, your, you know, in the top 10 and wins in the program, and but that was 2020. You know, it's only been two and a half years-ish. How do you go from that to pickleball? How'd you find the paddle, and then how'd you get on the pro tour? Well, I found pickleball during the COVID time. I was actually in the middle of the season, and uh, everything was canceled. And mm. That's how I found the game. And it was just a fun activity to get distracted for a little bit. But then once I was done with uh, college um, and tennis, I was a little bit lost. I probably wasn't ready to um, grow up and get into the big world. And that's how I found pickleball. Um, found out that you can play professionally, you can compete, and there's actually a pro tour out there, so um, went ahead, tried a couple of tournaments, and I, I got hooked. <laughs> like Irina, I got hooked right away because I'm a very competitive person, and it was really fun. Continued traveling and uh, being around the top players, so yeah, that became a new goal. It seems like, and you guys can obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but people are easily discovering this as a hobby. It just depends on... If, if you have the aptitude, the athletic prowess, but also just the, the willingness to compete and go through all the hoops. But but make no mistake, like everybody's starting to find this as a hobby, like looking at California specifically. Yeah, it's, um, well, unlike tennis, uh, pickleball is actually very easy to learn. It uh, doesn't matter if you had a background in racket sports or maybe no sports mm -hmm. uh, background whatsoever. 
you know, you pick up a paddle and in 10 minutes you can play. And I think uh, the word that most people use to describe their pickleball experience is addiction. And that's one of the, <laughs> Good one of the healthiest yeah. addictions yeah. I've ever seen. So I'm all for yeah. it. I think there's definitely room uh, for both tennis and pickleball yeah. to kind of work together and coexist in the, in the same space right. and just bring the experience to the people. Like, and looking at you two, obviously, like it helped to have play tennis. Like it doesn't mean you're going to be great at pickleball, but it definitely gave you an advantage coming into it that you knew what to do with the racket. So, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to kind of see where this goes. And I know you're in the spar in the process of kind of growing the game. It's at this infant stage. You're new and depending on how many chapters are written, it's got to be cool to be kind of the early stages, one of the founders almost of whatever this becomes. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, one of the great examples of this uh, situation is uh, both Yana and I, we helped a little bit our friends in Russia to get pickleball going. And it started with our tennis friends. And mm -hmm. they asked us some questions about the game. We helped them with equipment. We helped them with the rules and then spent some time playing with them and teaching and explaining how the game works. And, uh, you know, they were good immediately. Mm -hmm. They're excited. They're going to schools. They're bringing people together on the weekends. So just to see something like this in your own country and knowing that other players who compete professionally in the U.S., yeah. they're going back home to their own countries, respective countries, and introducing right. the game, that's something very, very special. And I hope we all meet at the Olympics one day. Yeah, oh, that, that would be a huge thing. Do, do you teach it, both of you, like to, I mean, formally or informally? Are you out there, like, teaching it to whether it's kids or first-timers that try to play or want to learn from a professional? I teach a little bit back home in Kansas City, uh, and I don't really teach full-time. I still have a part-time accounting job, but it's still fun okay. teaching, and uh, especially when uh, players really want to improve their game and they want to learn strategy and uh, get some tips. Okay. So it's always fun when okay. people want to improve. So you got hooked on the Midwest. You stayed there. And I know Arena moved to <laughs> California, but, you know, okay. So I'm, I'm Midwest at heart, too, so I know. Um, and I know your background, too. So you mentioned the accounting background. Is your official nickname, Marina, the professor? Is that, like, what you kind of get called unofficially, officially, because of the academic side of things? Well, actually, uh, Corinne Carr is the professor, and okay. she also has the PhD. Um, uh, I do teach. I teach grad school at Tulane online, okay. um, and I'm just a, an adjunct lecturer. What's what's uh, the subjects you teach? I teach a class on coaching, and I okay. teach sport and society. Nice. So, uh, Pickleball has definitely come up in both of my classes, and actually, I'm supposed to have um, Connor Pardo and Connor Ogden, the founders of the PPA, uh, in my sport and society class, just to talk about the phenomenon and talk about how to start, how they started the professional tour themselves. What's uh, no, that's exciting. And, uh, you know, you can, there could be room for a couple professors or maybe like a different, you know, version of it. Um, for both of you, I guess this is a question. I'm just curious athletically, what's something that makes it unique in terms of just like how you have to manage your fitness level, uh, the energy level just that separates it from tennis that people on the outside might not know? I would say pickleball is a very patient game, something you don't really see in tennis. Okay. Uh, and pickleball probably limits your ability on doing certain things just because you have that kitchen uh, that you cannot step into unless the ball bounces in there. That's where the game becomes more tricky. That's where you have to uh, learn new things and get good with... Uh, your hands be quick mm -hmm. and um you don't need as much stamina in pickleball like in tennis but you still have to be fast so i would say those are the biggest things. okay 
I think uh, one of the most challenging things is getting used to the competition format on a given day, depending on the size of the draw and the tier of the tournament. You could play six to eight pickleball matches in one day, and then a game could last anywhere between 20 minutes to an hour and 20 minutes, and then you can also have any time uh, anywhere between 15 minutes to two hours in between, which is sometimes you kind of don't know, like, am I on? Am I playing soon? So yeah. you have to. I would think two hours would be the worst because then you would lock up and just the adrenaline wears off. And absolutely, and then you have to warm up <laughs> yeah. ten times in one Jeez. day. Where in tennis, you know, you know, you're gonna play one or two matches per day. Mm-hmm. They're gonna be scheduled. You're gonna know pretty much what time yeah. is is there. So that's uh, one of the biggest adjustments I think is getting used to the tournament culture. How have you both adjusted to playing in such a growingly popular game? As the crowds have gotten bigger, events are now being broadcast on networks and live coverage has that put more pressure on your plate has it been kind of just stressful or is it just easy to kind of manage that it can get a little stressful (laughs) absolutely but i think what helps as i mentioned earlier how social the sport is and how excited fans are to see you Mm -hmm. come up to you they say hi you get to meet them and i think this atmosphere Mm -hmm. makes the whole experience a little bit more relaxing yeah i think um, for me a big crowd TV broadcast um, is just an energy that I feed off, and that uh, helps yeah. helps my effort. I think it helps my body language between points. So if anything, I think um, playing in front of a crowd helps me become, on a good day, <laughs> a more solid emotionally, yeah. a more more in control of my emotions. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be careful with the cameras there, though. That's like the big <laughs> thing. Uh, and I was, I was going to ask, like, are you both good at ping pong? Because I feel like table tennis would be something where, with the ra- with the paddle skills or racket skills, you're probably both pretty good. I think we are pretty good at ping pong. <laughs> We're definitely good beginners yeah. in ping pong. Yes, <laughs> there, I've heard pickleball pros say that that helps too. Being able to play that is gives you the reaction time, and it helps as well. Um, so we go forward. Like, what goals do you have for the rest of the year? Um, Going for the top spot, I mean, I mean, I think that's in range for a chance this year. What goals do we have at the tournaments coming forward in the 2022 season? Uh, for me, I'm relatively new. So this year for me, uh, I'm just trying to look what partners I want to play with next year. Um, I love playing with Irina. We always have unbelievable <laughs> energy on the court. So hopefully she'll partner up with me next yeah. year again. Um, yeah. You have people you don't want to partner with or rivals? You know? <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm just testing the ground, yeah. uh, training, um, still learning a lot of things about the tour, but yeah. Um, I'm definitely chasing, um, another PPA title. That would be nice. Th- don't care in which division I play all three events. I play singles, doubles and mix. So, uh, you know, just, uh, trying to maximize my options yeah. <laughs> and you never know which day I'm going to play great. Um, and I think that's more of a, a little bit of a short-term goal for this year. And I think long-term, it would be an incredible honor to have pickleball in the Olympics and be yeah. one of the participants on that Wow, team. that would be exciting. And I know your, Irina, your, like, ability to play multiple events, like the accolades, like I was looking, it's like 35 medals. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of just, <laughs> man, I mean, but hey, if the energy's still there and you can, you know, get through it, I think that's more power play as much as you can. Uh, the last thing I do have, it's been great chat with both of you, is actually, Friana, um, are you going to be able to play with Federer in Switzerland, or are you going to wait till you both retire? Um, God, this, is a, <laughs> this would be a dream come true, but that's probably my long-term goal. Long-term goal is to <laughs> get Roger on the court. 
Yeah, uh, and Switzerland is a beautiful country. Yeah. So, and Roger has been my idol since I was probably eight years old. Yeah, um, the first person I've heard say that now. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I gotta admit I don't have yeah. any other tennis idols. Roger is the yeah. only one. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I mean I'm the same way. Uh, I shouldn't probably say that, but I did. So it's like when he retires, it's going to be a big void missing. But hey, dream big. That's the that's the name of the game. So you never know. To answer your question, yes, I yes. will play pickleball with okay. Roger Federer in Switzerland. Hey, any more celebrity crossovers we can get? I'm sure that. As these events grow, get some celebrities out there, get them on the court, see if they can play. Could be a good thing. Absolutely. It would be great to get some uh, female, top female athletes in different sports like Ashley Barty or maybe one of the yeah. soccer players, yeah. one of the basketball players. That would be fantastic. Well, it's been great chatting with you, uh, Yana Grechkina and uh, Arena Tereshenko. Thank you so much for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In. Best of luck. I know you're in town to play Riviera, but best of luck at that event as well as the rest of the season. And uh, for my personal sake, hope you guys team together and just clean up all the, all the events. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. That's it for this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks to Chanda Rubin. Thanks to Arena Tereshenko and Yana Grechikina for appearing as guests. Reminder, you can catch every episode on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, tennischannel.com slash podcast. We are also on all your podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere podcasts are found, and uh, a lot of great shows on our Tennis Channel Network. Next week, we're going to be back one week to go then until the U.S. Open. It's going to be the final, final show before we get ready for the fourth major of the year in Flushing Meadows. Can't wait for that. Draw should be out by the time the show comes out, so we'll have a lot of matchups to break down, digest, catch our breath. For all our guests on today's show, my name is Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening to Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll see you next week.